Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Outcasts with Milk Tray Man David Berry and Odd Job Man Tim Downey. Today on our show, like Darwin's Beagle of 1818, it ups anchor and finds a steady sou'wester and steers towards our outlander Galapagos. We are equipped to bring back the finest, rarest and most exotic specimens these wild and unknown lands can offer. And boy, oh boy, what a specimen we have here. He's mad. Bad and dangerous to know. You all love to hate him, but we just love him. It's Ed Spaliers, ladies and gentlemen. Ed, welcome. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for bringing me on. Um, what a uh, what a what a lovely introduction. I would quite like to listen to you tell tell me tales all afternoon and evening, Tim. If I could, that was that was. <laughs> it can happen. It can happen. Uh, Ed, it's lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on uh, this this morning. Um, and as you as as I'm sure you you know, one of the things we like to do is we like to read a scene with our with our guest, and uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about the scene that you have chosen? Uh, I have yes, I mean I have chosen a scene that I felt uh, was only pertinent because it's it's the most recent we've seen of Stephen Bonnet. I suppose it's uh, uh, an introduction to how he has shifted from where he was. Forgive the recycling taking place here in Bristol at the moment, <laughs> um, but they are key workers. They're key workers, so they're doing a very good job. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I picked a scene because I felt that this was a, a bit of a character shift for Stephen Bonnet. He's suddenly become, or he is trying to become, a, a more gentlemanly pirate, uh, and I thought it was a bit of fun. Uh, and I also thought. Because there is a fight sequence in it, I don't know how these scenes play out when uh, wow. on this podcast. But I've been told there's a bit of fun no involved, way. so I thought maybe if there was a bit of physical action, we would be quite tricky to uh, replicate via audio. I thought that might be interesting. Anyway, you just wait and see. Okay, you just wait and see. You oh are going to be so. You're going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> I always like to be surprised. Well, well, this is the right yeah, place. Fantastic. Then. This is the place. Uh, now, what we like to do is we like to uh, divide up our scene. Um, so let's uh, let's pick some characters. Let's see who would like to play who. Now, would you like to play your namesake or would you like to mix it up? Would you like to turn your hand to someone else? Maybe? I would be quite intrigued to see somebody else play Stephen Bonnet, just to see what their interpretation would be. Fabulous. Wow. Okay. And I'm not going to pick. Okay. I, I'm going to leave that to you to 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 to, 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 to well, fight I'm, it out. Perhaps I'm sensing a, a wonderful nervousness from David. Yeah, Barry. Which, and nervousness yeah, is quite a good place to go, isn't it? I yeah. think so. I think, I think so. you pick on the nerves. Oh, Exploit the nerves. Yeah, I'm really picked on. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. 
Yeah. Right. Oh, that's just this. Oh, that's going to be Fine. tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. You know it will. Who else have we got in here? We've got uh, Charles Turnbull and Gerald Forbes. Would you like to take one of those? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll take. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go Forbes. Why not? I'll go Forbes. I'll do. You're going to go. Forbes. I'll give him my best Billy Boyd. Fabulous. I'll go a bit. I'll go Turnbull in that case. Uh, a lovely, and I think. Oh, there's a Mr. Marsden. Yes, uh, that appears as well. Let's 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 address that when we get to it. I think that'll uh, that'll cause some uh, bit of fun. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, for the for the big print, who will take the big print? I'm obviously more than happy to paint the collage. Uh, Tim, I I am just so nervous about this character right now. I can't concentrate on anything else. Um, I'm going to leave it entirely to you. I'm actually, people won't see this. My palms are actually sweating right now, and I'm not even lying to you. Um, just take it, please take whatever you can away from me. I'm going to take, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the big print. I think we should just dive straight in. Um, because the fourth look the fourth word on this is prostitutes. Fantastic. I mean so let's see <laughs> let's see how this goes. So this is from episode five oh two. This is scene okay. thirty-three. Interior courtyard boxing match day. Close on two women, prostitutes, brackets, known as female bruisers, locked in a ferocious bare knuckle battle in the midst of a makeshift ring during an underground boxing match, an illicit spectacle, part grudge match, part sporting contest. We don't know much more background than that. Reveal a crowd of society gentlemen side by side with the riffraff, the hoi polloi, shouting, swearing, drinking and wagering on violent sport, which draws patrons from all classes. A bet taker calls out. We don't know his name, calls out the bets as the women attack each other. They are dirty in appearance, wearing raggedy skirts, leather corsets, possibly no shoes. We find Gerald Forbes, wealthy landowner, friend of Jocasta's from episode 401. The last time I believe we saw him. Among the spectators. Oh, come on, let's have it. Put a bit of strength into it. Rich, powerful merchant, me, moi, Charles Turnbull approaches and interrupts. Mr. Forbes, I'd like to introduce you to an associate of mine. Forbes turns his attention from the ring to greet the gentleman standing behind Turnbull. Already I'm getting very excited. I hope David is as well. At what we are about to witness. He carries on. This gentleman is dressed in finery, elegantly groomed, with amicable manners and an air of affluence. We almost don't recognise him, but there's no mistaking. Oh, yes, there's no mistaking the devil dancing in his eyes. Behold, Stephen Bonnet. Behold, oh, my goodness. That actually yeah. says that. Behold, it Stephen Bonnet. It actually says Bonnet. that. It says that. Okay. May I present Mr. Stephen Bonnet. Bonnet nods, bows. Wait, you're Irish. God, I got. I don't even know. Just him. say the words, David. Just say the words. Just <laughs> pleased to make your acquaintance, sir. I'm, I'm a leprechaun. I'm going with it. A gambling man, are you? Goodness M- me. Mr. Bonnet. Apologies to every person out there. Bonnet smiles. And David is smiling now. I don't know if it's to do with the scene or nervousness, but he is smiling. I've been known to bet on the facts. But truth be told, I find the sight of two women engaged in such a violent combat vulgar. Superb. That wasn't bad. Um, wow. You did that really, yeah. yeah. I really loved that. Suddenly that audition for Peaky Blinders you want to do again. Yeah. Wait a second. Hang on. <laughs> oh, let's, I, I'm impressing myself here. Let's see if I can keep this going. Absolutely. Let's just, let's just keep going. Please. Forbes, Forbes indicates the two women fighters, one large, one scrawny, 
but very much holding her own. One claims that the other cost her 20 shillings, still her fancy. Oh, no, still her fancy man two nights in a row. Whoever prevails keeps the winnings. Uh, Far from being a... I was... Tim, I was so... You just interrupted me and... Uh, just, just keep it going. No, excuse me. Stay, okay, stay there, David. We're in the okay. dynamo now. <laughs> Far from being the gentler sex today, then again, I'm not one to pass up a good wager. Uh, my money's on the fair-haired damsel. I put a stake on the red-haired harlot. I watched the fight for a beat. God, it's just brutal. Blood is flying. A drunken gentleman of means, Mr. Marsden, rudely... Cheers on larger prostitutes. Prostitutes. How, how is it you uh, know, Mr. Turnbull? Mr. Bonnet has facilitated the transport of various proprietary goods for me and many others who wish to avoid the king's levies. He's uh, very discreet in his dealings. One good turn. Why didn't I do it like that? Indeed. Because that was terrible. I feel like I sounded like Willy Wonka or something. It didn't didn't really come out right. I, I was actually trying to channel you. No, no, I thought it was lovely. I, 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 honestly, I, I, I... Hey, really? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Indeed. I'm I'm glad we have. How shall I put it? Untethered you from your past, Mister Bonnet. This is a very deferential bonnet. It's clear he's bought himself for some protection among some prominent people in Wilmington. He's a wanted man, after all. It would be a pleasure doing business with you, Mr. Forbes, should you need, should the need arise. I'll surely keep that in mind, Mrs. Doubtfire. Bonnet's still working. Is it <laughs> good? <laughs> it's Doubtfire, look, Doubtfire's my Scottish. No, that's um, what I, I thought I was doing. Um, I thought I was doing Mrs. Doubtfire just then. But I, I mean, anyway, I mean, I, I'm, you can have Doubtfire if you like. Right. Oh, so you you use that fire as well? Yeah, that's that's my in into Scottish. I mean, that's well established. I've t- talked about this before. I'm not really sure what I'm channeling with Irish here. I think I'm channeling, I think I'm ch- channeling the, the the guy from the Lucky Charms commercials, um, the cereal. I don't right. even know if you have that right. in the UK. Wow. Um, of all of all of all of all, of all the variety of Irish accents you could have picked, it was the Lucky Charms commercial. I think that's superb. <laughs> I think, you know, I have very, very sophisticated, you know, um, let's say Epicurean artistic tastes and, and, and cereal uh, commercials is where I get a lot of my artistic influences from. Big up the um, capitalism. Yeah. I've got the one. Big up the capitalism, the commercial, the commercial lucky charm. No problem. Lovely. I, lo- I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I really, I do a mean Tony Tiger. Um, <laughs> I do, um... Look forward to that. Look forward to that as the scene moves on. So, Bonnet's still working as a smuggler, despite the fact that he's keeping more highbrow company. We're on the prostitutes as they viciously just pummel each other. The crowd, you see, I'm really trying to uh, paint ooh, it here. God, yeah. Just, oh, it's, it's just spurted all over the walls. It's out of people's <laughs> arms. It's horrible. It's, oh, you don't want to see it. Oh, God. The crowd, including Forbes, Turnbull and Bonnet, whoop. And cheer. The larger woman goes down unconscious, not surprisingly. (laughs) Any prostitute raises her arms in victory. What did I tell you? I know a winner when I see one. Bonnet collects his winnings. Marsden, who's lost his his own wager, is a sore loser, makes a passing snide comment. And I know a cheater when I see one. Marston eyes the larger prostitute on the floor, being revived by someone. Clearly you know the woman. What are you implying? We were in league with her. You knew when she'd go down. 
I assure you, you're quite mistaken. Bonnet takes his wings and attempts to move past Marsden. Oh, damn your eyes, sir. I prefer to lose with honour rather than win by trickery. You've insulted my honour, sir. Let us settle this like gentlemen. <laughs> fighting, fighting words. Okay. Goodness yeah. me. Goodness yes. me. Very much. Shall we just shall we finish off? Because I th I want to see what the denouement <laughs> Please. of this. I want to hear it. I, I want to hear it. I'm really quite happy with what I've been doing. So if I fuck get the chance to. Oh, let's just let's just finish off. Let's just finish off right to the end. So moments later. The clashing of swords as an impromptu duel takes place between Bonnet and Marsden. Men wager on the outcome of this contest as eagerly as they waged on the bare-knuckle prostitutes. Bonnet gets the upper hand and disarms Marsden. Ha-ha! Wounding him in the thigh. Yeah! Marsden sinks <laughs> to his knees and yields. Instead of accepting the surrender, Bonnet shows his true colours as he performs an act of such cruelty that it makes a deep impression upon all who witness it. Tis not my eyes that will be damned, sir. Oh, that really, that, that was pirate. That was that good. A bit no, well, that's, that was good. It touched upon West Country. I yep. will be honest there. <laughs> Thank you. But I think it was warranted. I think it needed that. He, he went full pirate in that moment, and that's what I tried to go with. Part of this cast is coming out of Bristol, I suppose. Or the, so, I mean, we can have West Country in there today, I think, you know. Well, not absolutely. And look, Tim, absolutely. at the end of the day, the man who played the character just gave me his approval. And I think that's really all that matters at this moment. Do you know what? I think you're absolutely right. Thank you. We move on. Bonnet has already sheathed his sword, but he takes his knife out now and draws the blade across Marsden's eyes, twisting Ouch. it in such a fashion as not only to blind him, but to mutilate him and make him an object of horror and pity. Marsden screams in agony and then faints. Bonnet wipes his knife on Marsden's shirt, then sheathes it. Forbes looks on aghast. Turnbull regards Bonnet with confusion. Tis unlike you, Bonnet. But why not? Why not kill the man outright? I considered it, but, he, but I must set a better example. Oh, he's going into this. Oh God. Oh yeah. I am a father now. Bonnet walks away. His words, leaving a chill in his wake, fade out. End of act. I know you felt that chill. Mic drop. Lucky charms will never taste the same again. <laughs> no, no, it never will because you'll be thinking exactly. of Bonnet, won't you? Be. Everyone will be thinking yeah. of Bonnet and Lucky Charms. Hopefully, if I've done my job right. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a brilliant scene. Was that was that fun was. to film? Because it's, I mean, it's great fun to read, and it really comes off the page, and it's incredibly visceral, which I'm a big fan of. I, you know, all of that is fantastic. Good fun to film? Yeah, it was good fun to film. I think, uh, well, I, I mean, I think one of the things about playing this character in general is he, he always gets these sort of moments. You don't always see him that often, but when he pops up, it's normally uh, it's making a statement. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's an incredibly visceral scene. And it's not until, it, to be fair, that that whole moment with, with the eyes and, cutting that out it wasn't actually until we got into rehearsing that fight sequence um and the apollo and i that we sort of started working out how how gruesome it really was um but i think that's one of the great things about some of the outlander writings that you can it can it could be one thing on a page but it's not until you you know if even you know, with this scene in particular you you get down to it and you know it was a it was a sort of hot cauldron mess of activity there was so many extras on on that day. This fight was breaking up. These really two gnarly stunt women who were 
pretty much going at each other for about really? an hour. Yeah, it was really like, it was like turning up to watch a UFC fight. That's what it looked like. It, it definitely looked like it. Yeah, it, 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 it was like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good, it was, a, it was a good scene to shoot. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny those scenes. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but from an active point of view, when you maybe haven't been there the whole time and you have to like, like the way this, there was a big emphasis on the day to do with the reveal and it's sort of it's obviously signposted in the script and oh, yeah. you know behold and, and, bonnet behold bonnet. yeah no, yeah man. and that was kind of a i suppose that put a bit of a strange pressure on things and Stephen wolfenden was sort of very determined to make the right choice in shots in order to make sure this reveal was a big deal without it being a big without also being a big deal you don't you don't want to be sort mm-hmm. of twiddling my invisible mustache at the same time but but yeah so there, there was a there was that that i I wouldn't say struggled with, but I tried to. It was, I find that a bit of a thing to get my head around because you are, you know, you have to forget about all of that. But at the same time, you're surrounded by 150 people, and and it's and then and there is suddenly this focus on this one small moment. But yeah, it was yeah, it was a good scene. It was good fun to to shoot, and we had a, you know, a good team, a good team of actors on. You know, Billy Boyd was on that day playing Forbes. Um, it was yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and also I think so. I'm, rambling on um and uh, i think I, I, I did have a question though um on. just interrupt you for a sec because back to these moments where you say it says behold yeah. bonnet do you reckon that the extras 150 extras knew who you were are they going when they, when you have when they have this moment behold bonnet i think who even, who even is bonnet yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because i'm I, I remember i've seen these things in the script where they're like you know, and Lord John enters, and you get this big entrance, and then you're wondering in the minds of everyone else on who's in, in the uh, in the stage, like, did they actually? Yeah, know well, so I guess I, I think for this example, I, I felt that it was more it, it's it was more about that moment in in a in a for the camera, I suppose, rather than for right. the extras, because I I, I, I think. I don't, no, I don't think I don't think the extras even needed to know who Bonnet was in this situation, and actually, probably they were told they didn't necessarily know until the fight unraveled and until, and then you, you get third AD. I always think it's such a tough job for third AD to whip up a crowd. Exactly. Yeah. And have to do it for hours on end, you know, in these big extra scenes where you're seeing fights and they have to keep repeating these, you know, you know, you've got to really go for this guy or really support this guy or, or you know, try and whip up, whip up this frenzy. Well, I think that that's it, isn't it? Because you said it in yourself. It's about, you don't want to act the moment. You don't want to make, give this endow this moment with more importance than it is it's almost like you can't bring the Stephen bonnet and give him that sense of like behold Stephen bonnet it's something that the crowd has yeah. to create for you and that's something that you want to explain that that as you're saying the third a ad does it you want to explain what they what they do what a third, like what, what, a, what a third ad does you mean yeah a third, assistant director a third assistant director sorry third assistant director yeah i mean they have uh, they have quite a, a tough job i mean they are they are the first assistant director's right hand person, I suppose, and they. But when whenever you're involved, I mean, they, they deal mainly with with cast on on the floor as well, and and they're, they're sort of the go between through many departments. However, let's say we're in a scenario as as this scene described, or any other big um, scene involving a lot of supporting artists, then they are. It is normally on them to to be guiding exactly where they need extras to be going to to what they need to be doing at what point to shout at what point 
to 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 be a part of the scene and to get and to give that life and it's a really tough really tough ask you know if you've got a hundred people there who are there all day from six o'clock in the morning and there are a variety of ages and and and, and abilities as 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 actors as as as, as people uh, it's quite a it's quite a tall order for them but also for the for, for the third assistant director to 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 keep them to keep them to keep them bubbly and also then you get you fall into the the danger don't you of when when you're trying to whip up this crowd and then they get so excited that then then they they're sort of talking and shouting over the top of things and um but it's there's the guy who's the chap who directed uh is it Todd Haynes the director doesn't he he really gets all of his extras quite involved i think i think he gives them like a um an actual character i suppose which i think is quite interesting Greta Gerwig did um, it for little women as well so to, to create that relationship of, of sisters and to create all those kind of little pockets of people is she did the same thing she basically just sort of said you're just going to live you're going to live with each other and all you people are just going to be i'm going to throw problems in you're going to have to deal with these things as you would as a as a group for as long as possible and it does it kind of creates a real vitality to a scene because you just kind of look you almost feel these that everybody here isn't they aren't acting they're just because they're so so in it but it's it's being included i think that was always the thing i've found with um dealing with supporting artists is everybody like when we were doing uh the 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 war sequences the battle sequences the people that were the soldiers were treat everybody treated them like soldiers so there was two guys who were role players like their thing is being role players they dress up of a weekend in red coats and they go out on a battlefield and so they would want to be addressed as sergeant and they would treat their troops as would and then they would show me as the as the general would you like to inspect your troops sir before no cameras nobody wow. there nobody doing anything and so you would go okay yeah okay i'll inspect i'll inspect the troops thank you thank you sir if you'd like to stand here this is and then treat them all but that was led that was led by them that was led by the supporting artist it was the production saying saying to them your role players treat it as treat it as you would of a, of a weekend you know what to do because this is what this is what you do and they would know all the ins and outs about musketry and all these things but it adds it, it adds so much more to a to a scene that's brilliant yeah incredible really incredible but it adds so much more it kind of creates more of a depth of world where you can look at anything within that shot and people are doing the things that they would potentially be doing in reality same as this sequence is there's so much to look at you've got the main core of the scene and then you have all these other little stories going on and if people are just standing around holding a flag and going isn't this fun we're in outlander you can tell you can tell. You could go. I can tell that guy there is just trying to find out where the camera is, and that is such a such a difference. So I think it really lifts it off the page and off the screen. I think the including point's really interesting, Tim, because I think that probably put the, hitting the nail on the head, isn't it? It's if because if you if you feel you've got a sense of purpose, no matter how great or small your involvement might be in that moment, you get that as an actor. I mean, it's not just as a supporting artist. You come into to a scene where you know, I've done things where I've been very much on on the fringes on the on the sidelines but if you have a director or a production that gives you detail and gives you a purpose then then you feel beyond what you've already worked on then then you feel like you're part of the team and then you want to give more and then you want to but you also you're finding that balance between giving too much or too little but if you're if you're given that that clear direction that clear purpose um then i think that that that's of course it, it gives that it gives that life you're talking about now i have to um admit to a kind of embarrassing 
I, I think it's embarrassing interaction I had with some uh, what it was supporting artists in, in one of these episodes of Outlander. Embarrassing because uh, I think I kind of overstepped my mark in, ter- in terms of, you know, what I'm supposed to do as an actor. I started thinking, you know, they weren't giving me enough <laughs> Lord John. They needed to really kind of respect <laughs> the Lord John and they weren't giving me enough. So it was the scene where um, I'm dancing. It was it's, uh, Jocasta's wedding and, and um, we're doing this dance. And then at the end of the dance, um, I needed in the scene, I, I couldn't solve it. Like I needed to get away from the scene and then talk to Jamie and Claire. And I needed the, the supporting artist to like treat Lord John like he was like the hottest thing ever. Like just treat me like you you really just really wanted to dance with me and now you, you, you have to like I have to distract myself from you. But that's what I had in my head and it kind of was there on the page but the director wasn't going to direct the supporting artist with that because, you know, essentially it's my own narrative. So I decided, you know what, I think I really have to – so I have to solve this myself. So I went over to the supporting artist and I said, look, in this moment, um, you think Lord John's just like really, really hot, okay, and, and you just really want to dance with him and you're really upset when I don't dance with you. So if you can kind of add that into uh, your, your work there, I think that, that'd be really great. <laughs> and you know what? Um, uh, they did it and uh, and I think the scene turned out great but the embarrassing thing is that I had to tell them to you know treat me and endow me with that um, uh, and sometimes you know the supporting artists will will be like you know more than ready to play the game um, which they did in this instance very graciously or other times you know they if I told any other actor to do that you know um, Stephen Bonnet, Ed, would you would you treat Lord John just really hot in this thing? Can you pretend that? He- I mean, I I always did think of uh, Lord John in, in my scenes. Any scene I was ever in, I was always thinking about how hot Lord John was. That was that's the big that was the big ruse. That was the big. It was a driving factor. That's why he's still hanging around Wilmington. Exactly. Exactly. And we never had any awkward moments on set because we, you know, we had that understanding. And and Tim, I know there was an understanding. Yeah, we never had that conversation, Tim, because we already knew. We knew this. We knew this. As soon as our eyes caught each other in a in some Jamaican bar, we thought, "Yes, I'll see you again." <laughs> and then it's left there. It's left there. Just just hanging. It's tantalizingly hanging. Wonderful stuff, really. Beautiful moments. Um, so I want to touch now a bit on your um your career, Ed. You've had a you had a really interesting career, and I, I want to I want to have to come clean a bit here. Um, to being a little bit intimidated by you at first um because uh there were these stories going around that you're like this really you know serious actor who's into his craft and you're like bit method and uh, you you really um i was really i was actually familiar with your work before coming on set and uh and and i was like who's this really super successful guy that's coming on outland and i was that's why i'm really excited to have you on the show um but because you've experienced like a lot straight out of the gate, didn't you? You went straight on to like a huge, huge movie. That was one of the first things you did. Yeah, well, I was, I was sort of minding my own business at school, and yeah, the first thing I did in front of a camera, apart from, apart from a short film where I was um, doing something weird in, in a in a public loo, but that wasn't. That was when I was about fifteen. Uh, no one's ever seen that. 
no, I did. I, my, yeah, my first ever proper, proper professional gig was uh, a film uh, about a young boy and his dragon, which was based on these books. It's this Aragorn inheritance series. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I was suddenly from being at school one day as a 17 year old, um, cheeky so-and-so, I was suddenly doing, uh, yeah, being a lead in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very, very big film. It was a very, I'm going to use so many cliches potentially. It, it was incredibly surreal, uh, from start to finish, whether I, I don't know about having a successful career or not, I, I, I don't really know that at the moment but I, th- I think that it was a baptism of fire I think everything about that film and everything about that the, those that well the 18 months of my life I suppose it does sound very cliche I, I wanted to be an actor from a very young age and I had a very I was very fortunate the schools I went to I had very good drama teachers who kind of shaped and guided and molded that and um, allowed me to to, to to try things out and then this opportunity came in and, and actually it was Although without having done that film or been in that experience, uh, working with some of the, the people that were in the, in, the, in, the, in that in that job, I I, f- I actually feel it, it left me quite scarred as a result um, because it, it was it was suddenly going from like standing a standing start to like gear five and and trying to and, and being all the things that go with it being sort of all the flying around the world all the all the sort of the the, 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 the trapping element which is you know not is lovely and it's a it's a huge perk to this job at times but also it's it's not it's not really what this job is about from my point of view and i and i think that it was it was such an alien experience for me and it was for my family as well you know we didn't we didn't really know how to to handle it i didn't i don't, I don't think i became a it wasn't like a nightmare with it or anything like that. I just, I just didn't. It was, it was so overwhelming at, at all times. You know, you go from being a schoolboy to being with adults who could, who could do whatever they want, and you're with, with in that environment. And I, and I didn't really know how to handle it. Was there ever a sense that you know, with everything happening so quickly for you, that it, it hadn't been sort of entirely earned? You know, like I mean, how much of that early success did you think was was down to luck? How much was down to talent? And how much was was hard work? I would say getting that moment, getting that chance was 98.5% luck. Uh, probably. I don't think there's much talent involved. And I think, um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a funny thing. I think the one, not analogy I always come up with it, but I never went to drama school and I still have a huge, huge tip on my shoulder about that. Uh, and I probably always will. And, and I wish I had, and there was a moment after that film, I should have, that should have been the time I should have gone actually, I'm at, you're 18. You've got let's try and get into a drama school and see you know see where you can go. I didn't, but I think the, the thing about doing that sort of role in that environment, I, I, it wasn't earned, and I and I still feel it wasn't earned. And I feel that you know I, d- I don't know I don't know quite. I think we've talked a little bit about this David before, but I don't quite know how it works in in Australia. I know that the states are very good at giving people opportunities and, and chucking them at it and going right. You can you can take on the world with one opportunity one, one chance. Tim, you may feel differently in the UK, and this is the one thing I notice is that most actors, not all, go through the the, the the normal route, you know, whether it be drama school, and then they might get a few opportunities to do a bit of theatre, and then they might get a chance to maybe do an episode here or there of 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 a, of a long running soap, and then they might do a, a, an independent film, or you know, there's obviously meant that's that's one example. There's many journeys, but it's 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 incremental, and it's allowing yourself to to make mistakes. And I think that that was one of the biggest issues for me was it was it wasn't incremental it was like there you go and it's every scene and 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 it was huge exposure and 
some people can really fly with that. There's some incredible actors who have started at that age and have, and have, gone, and, and have flown with it. And I, I wasn't. I sort of sank and, I, and it really, it, uh, it, it, it messed my, uh, my head up for quite a long time. But yet you went to, to work alongside some people who really embody all those attributes of, you know, hard work and talent and maybe a bit of luck. You, you work with Maggie Smith, Hugh Bonneville, Mark Rylance. Um, what did you learn from these actors and, and what did they teach you about the meaning of success? I think actually we, when you're talking about that calibre of actor, success is never really mentioned. And it's not about how to, what, what, what do they define by it. I think they, they inherently, I mean, those particular actors, they inherently behave in a certain way that is, it's all, it is all about the work and all about being, being professional. And don't get me wrong, they have, they, 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 they're, they're great fun. It's not like they're completely intensely serious the whole time, but they, they, they value they value the work and the craft. Uh, you know, you know, people like I'll be honest. You know, someone like Mag- Maggie, I didn't have a great deal. It was mainly a lot of watching. I, I did a, spent a lot of time watching her and, and watching how she conducts herself. Um, and to see someone, you know, I don't really want to mention age so much, but of her vintage, uh, and, and to have oh my fucking dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to have the, 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 the experience she's had, but still, almost on every single take, there'll be something original, and just trying to, to to mix it up and shape it up. And I and I think that's one one way to to not necessarily be successful, but at least to in, in, enjoy the work you're doing. And it, you know, it's not about going completely off off piste all the time but I think I feel you you have to what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is you could see there is someone there who is still relishing the chance to work and relishing the chance to to throw things out and try things out because I think if you're keeping that you know ingenuity and and freshness to 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 whatever you're trying to portray then then I think that will that that, that will that will lead you to to some form of success I suppose and it's hard to define success as well as as an actor. I think it's quite a subjective thing. You know, it's it's all we are. We live in a in a world that certainly in the Western world that really pushes on this idea of you know success being material potentially. And actually, maybe as actors, as artists, as, as, as it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't. It's not. It's not about necessarily names and lights and and achieving things that on paper look like they are ticking boxes but actually is it is it more is it more to do with getting getting enjoyment from what you're doing and getting satisfaction that is that's a successful time i think if you can finish a job no matter how great or small it is and feel that you've given something something that you haven't done before and it's not always going to happen you are at the mercy of the the roles that are presented to you via agents via by producers etc but i think if you can if you can try and find something that a challenge each time that you've can can feel like you've lifted something from from yourself that you haven't done before. Then I think that's that's a that's a mark of of success. But um, so you started out with these you know ideas of success. You, you're on this 100 million dollar Hollywood movie, whatever, and um, I'm just that probably set up your expectations of your, your future. And I'm thinking now that you've gone through that, um, what are your expectations? Of, of of you know what what you want from your career now having this new understanding of what success means do you re- want to come back and do work your way to another big hollywood movie would that be interesting to you again yeah it would but i think i would 
like, well, I, don't, I don't want to say I would, I would, uh, with caution. But I, of course, I, of course, I, I probably. Uh, it's not like we're that much caution at all. I've got two small children. I've got there's there's, mouth, there's mouths to be fed. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, I think it, it, it's. I am really trying my hardest to to make sure whatever I keep doing or whatever it is in the future is something that I've. Not, it's not necessarily as simple for, I'm probably not explaining myself very well saying, you know, about not it being something I haven't done before, but I, I, I've got to, I've got to feel invested in it. And don't get me wrong. Look, you know, I, as the next person, like a, a good lifestyle, I'm fortunate to lead a very comfortable, nice lifestyle. However, I, it's not the, it's not being the be all and end all. I've been on jobs where I've been wholly unsatisfied because I've chased the wrong thing in it. Uh, and I think, I think um, I will be dictated to by 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 by, by script and by a character, and I think you know I, I don't. It's a hard balance because I also you know I don't want to get to a position where I what do you don't want to be? You don't want to be one of these actors who hit, it gets further into his thirties, into forties, and starts resenting others or becoming bitter and twisted, which I think is a very easy thing, and it's and and, and, I, and I want to always try and maintain the enjoyment of it. Uh, and, and 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 at the moment I am, and it took quite I took, it took quite a long time to find enjoyment again. It's only really been in the last few years, I suppose, that I've actually maybe grown in confidence enough to believe I'm capable of doing some good work. And I think that that's been a that's been a, a quite a lovely discovery. It's not about saying I'm I'm any good, but it's just having the your my own self belief to think that I'm capable of doing something. And and I think that will dictate. Uh, how I how I pick certain roles, but as I say, at the same time, like not to bring it into what's the attention of what's going on at the moment. But who knows what's going to un- unfold? You know, if I if I don't work for seven months, then I'll do it. I'll do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. What have you got? Exactly. What have you got for me? Exactly. I'll do it. It's not a problem. You want me over there? No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close off, is it? Okay, fine. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. I came in like that anyway, expecting it. But it reminds me of the uh, uh, very similar to, I think it was Peter Cushing that once said, you know, that as an actor, if you're working, you're a success. And I think that kind of old school attitude, I think Alec Guinness also said the same, the same kind of thing, is that there is so much uncertainty, you know, uncertainty is built into our very fabric of what we do, because you always know there's uncertainty, no matter how good the job is, like the, the film that you started on, no matter how good it is, it will end. Because it has to. And so with that cut those mechanics behind it if you're working then you are a success uh kind of for me that's what kind of what it boils down to is you're working you're a success and if you can find the enjoyment which is what you where you're coming from as well then you are truly a man of riches i think because this is an exciting job and if you can have fun and enjoy it and be playful when you're in your 80s and 90s and still find the fun and the enjoyment then you have done extremely well because it is a it's a, it's a difficult industry it looks glamorous but it's incredibly difficult and it can be very draining. Um, and so I think those little moments where you can sit back and go, God, this is, this is fun, isn't it? And especially if, if you're around friends, it's one of the things about the sort of the outlander cast is that people were very nice and that can be a rarity to kind of sit down and just have a chat with someone is great. You've got to think, God, this is, this is lovely. It's a lovely day outside. We're dressed up putting on silly voices and we're doing you know this wonderful thing and then we get to go and do what we want to do and that's you know that's fantastic i think two things come to my mind i think like uh for actors i think most of us uh, uh, aren't very 
uh, financially motivated. We don't, re- we're not really driven by money. Um, you know, trying to be responsible and like, you know, having kids and so forth, having that, balancing that on the one hand and then, you know, trying to make the right choice financially, but also trying to feed the artist. Um, and I think the other thing that came to mind was, um, you know, having gratitude and trying to having, having gratitude as an actor is, is a remarkably difficult thing for us. I, I, I think, I don't know why it is, but, uh, I think, um, someone once told me uh, a thing that uh, a a grouping of actors, you know, a grouping of dogs as a pack, a grouping, a a murder of crows. It's a, it's a, it's a complaint of actors. Yeah. A whinge of actors. A whinge of actors. Cause we always find things to complain about and never have gratitude for what we do. And, and when you see people who have really successful careers and having still coming in with a lot of gratitude and, 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 um, you know, for what they do, then it, uh, and love for what they do, and maintaining that uh, in spite of whatever challenges, and then they're probably very minimal. You know, like the, we're not getting the right coffee sometimes; it, it's not getting the the script's not right, or, or something. We have we find anything to complain about. I mean, the script, the script's acceptable, I suppose. The coffee not being right might not might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a deal breaker right there. But it's like that. It reminds me of that actor's joke of the uh, of the guy coming in to see his partner and he says the most incredible thing has happened i i got the part yeah it's the lead it's with de niro it's going to be six months shoot in hawaii it's just incredible i'm being paid 25 million i am and uh, do you know what the best part is she says no what is it i've got tomorrow off (laughs) (laughs) and that is very much the actor this is is amazing when's lunch it's quite often you quite often you, you get a job coming and you go oh oh no but that's our holiday oh, we've got a holiday to so and so yeah oh no but that means we're going to have to cancel oh that's a shame oh, that's a shame you've not worked for six months Ed I know I know but I was really looking forward to that two week holiday <laughs> in Spain this would have been oh yeah this would have been it but it is tricky because it because with actors you're either there all the time or you're not and it's that's a very difficult sort of work life balance to get because most other friends that live do normal jobs you have set times you're sort of like right well we will have two weeks here and nothing will interfere with that but there will be two weeks there and two weeks here and we get all these moments and yet the classic thing with actors is you know the, the surest way to get a job is to book a holiday as that happens just constantly because it's just such an, a, a movable feast you know but i guess one of the interesting things about being there what you say tim we're not you know we are either there a lot or we're not there at all it, it makes it tricky because i've one of the things I'm trying to find a way to work, especially with Dorky mentioned having smaller children, is that um, is, is learning to appreciate that time you've got, not necessarily with them, but with your, with yourself. And I know we're all trying to probably do that at the moment, but it's amazing. There was an actor once said to me, uh, he, he said, "I wish, I wish in those three months I had off." I knew I was going to get a job at the at the end of that three months because I wouldn't be spending those three months worrying about when I was going to get a job. I wanted to switch gears for a second. I wanted to to talk music um, because I know that that's something that uh, you and I and Tim, we all have in common is this obsession with music and using music as a way of getting into character. I understand something that you do, Ed, 
Uh, for instance, I read somewhere that you created a playlist to help you build your character of uh, Stephen Bonnet and that you were listening to a lot of, um, uh, was it Van Morrison and Oasis? Um, am I right? Yeah, there was a lot of Van Morrison and Oasis, yeah. And I was wondering, how do you how do you use music to help you get into character? How, how are you using that? I, I always have, I mean, yes, as you rightly said, music's been a huge part of my life and, and it will always be a huge part. Part of it's a fun thing in terms of creating a playlist to, to understand a character. You know, you talk about a character who's set in the 1700s, 18th century. It's quite tricky to, you know, you're not going to, there was no Oasis of Van Morrison, but it's just, I find it useful to, to set a tone or to try and create um, a way a way of thinking and being, I, th- I think actually particularly on 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 the whole Oasis thing that was that was something to do because I was watching a lot of Liam Gallagher videos uh, and interviews um, uh, when I was sort of prepping Stephen Bonnet just because I found him quite an interesting character study um in in how he comes across and his and his physicality i thought he was quite i find him quite fascinating in a way um just just as a just in a sort of behavioral way um but i think uh yeah music's always always been a big part whether it be looking at music from an era you know i remember when 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 doing downton for example there was lots of there was a a lot of sort of uh, early jazz coming into play, a lot of Al Jolson and things changing up, a lot of the sort of movement of like Charleston was a big dance move that started coming in. So as a result, I started looking into that quite a bit. But I, I find it an incredibly relaxing tool and, and powerful tool, tool. And it's 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 not, you know, and there's, there's, there's elements of music that's incredibly personal to me that I like to use. And I, it's not... The, it's not that I like to always shut myself away on headphones. I, I used to do quite a lot of that, but I find that can, for me now, be, I will still do it, but I find it can be quite um, debilitating in the sense you can kind of shut yourself off too much from the environment you're working in. However, I do like to, you know, throughout the day, there is a lot of noise throughout the day in, 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 a, in, in on a film set in particular, you know, of course, let's say theatre. So, uh, so so I do, I do find it incredibly useful, whether it be from relaxing or just, just setting a tone or, and also, for whatever work I may have tried to put into a, to a role, just to sort of let it maybe seep into myself a bit more. I'm totally with you on that. I, I have people uh, often ask me, I've always got my earbuds in when I'm on set and people come up to me and, uh, and they say, what, what, are you, what are you listening to? And I'm always approached that question with a degree of dread and embarrassment because uh, actually what I'm usually listening to is uh, Usher or 90s, 90s Slow Dance, <laughs> which has absolutely nothing to do with Lord John. Um, <laughs> well, or does it? Or does it? But for me, it's about getting a sense of into my body uh, and, and it just it helps loosen me up. Uh, Tim, I, what, are, what are you listening to? I listen to a lot of... English folk music. Don't know why, just suddenly really have got into it of late. So I listen to a lot of that, traditional kind of English ballads, Scottish ballads, things like that. I have no idea why. It's just maybe it's this kind of the movement of the spheres of where we are that has just kind of infused that sort of earthiness. I'm finding a real, because I grew up in the country and I've always gone, I don't want to be in the country. I hate being in the country. It's just, it's, it's too minimal. There's nothing to do. You're 20 miles in the nearest town. I want to get away from that. And so I came to London. And of late, maybe it's having kids as well, and having no outside space being in London, is that I've really harked back to the music of where I'm from, which is very, even with the tiny village that I grew in, had a very strong folk element. 
a lot of tales and stories and oddness to it and things like that. And I've really kind of tapped back into that. Where was that, Tim? It was in uh, Hertfordshire, a little village in Hertfordshire. Bizarrely enough, where um, Michael, who plays Lieutenant Knox, actually is from the next village. Or had just bought a house from the next village um, when we started doing Outlanders. So it all things kind of evolve. And there's a lot of kind of weirdness to that particular part of town. It's where there's a very ancient route called the Icknield Way that drives through. It's the ancient Roman routes that would link the ley lines and all those kind of things. But it's got so it's got a very strong folk heritage. So I think I'm tapping back into that. So I'm listening to a lot of lot of that. Much to the wonderment of my kids. Um which, as you can imagine, getting in the car of what are we going to listen to, Daddy? We're going to listen to Shirley Collins. Um, this is quite a quite a depressing piece. It's about um, uh, you know, it's about famine. So how about we all how about we all sing along to that? I don't want you, Daddy. Why are you doing this? Well, at least you understand where your musical choices are coming from. People come into my trailer and I'm, I'm pumping like boys to men and they're thinking, who is this guy? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, but I want to talk about villains because, of course, you, you're playing a villain on Outlander. And when I think of some of the best villains that I know, there's this, there's those like Darth Vader, T-1000, Jason Voorhees, who on the one hand elicit this really visceral uh, response of fear and hate in their audiences, but they don't really have a very complex psychology and then on the other hand you have villains like um loki the joker or even Gollum, who have these deep emotional reasons for their behavior and are essentially just sort of damaged people lashing out and taking out their pain on the world and other people i was wondering what are your thoughts on this do you think a villain's job is to be hated or to be understood that's a good question uh, I, I think I, I think it's potentially circumstantial i think that and 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 it all depends on, on on what's what's been presented. I think in an ideal situation, whether it's about being understood, I'm not sh- I'm not necessarily sure if it's ever. I don't, I don't necessarily think every villainous character has to be understood. But I think the for me the more interesting ones to to watch and to read about are ones where you can understand some sort of you know understand the human behavior and understand the psychology of what has brought them to be the way they are now some people are potentially just born a certain way but some of them are it's for a, 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 from a plethora of things from from you know from the nature versus nurture there's that old adage argument about it but i think that for me from a watching point of view it's yeah it's it's just when characters are you know when 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 the villain, villains are more one dimensional then then and it's just about being the bad guy i tend to find that less interesting so I, and i think that's but I, i'll be honest I, I think that's true of either end of the spectrum i think even if you're into i think the good guys as well i, I feel from an acting point of view from an acting point of view well, i think we want we want our heroes you know relatable or flawed and we want our villains kind of understandable i think a lot of the time otherwise we get these very strong binaries of good and evil do you, do you yeah. agree yeah completely and i think that's 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 certainly for a younger audiences that's a dangerous thing to be teaching to, to, not dangerous thing to be teaching but i think it's more in, it, it's a it's a, it's more uh, it's better rounded if we if we are keeping it Slightly more fluid, I suppose, and and uh, and uh, not necessarily ambiguous, but I think if we can try and understand human behaviour on a, on on you know more than just a, a one note level, then I think it, it's it's more helpful to us as as people anyway. Well, who's the bigger villain here? Is it Tryon or is it Bonnet? What do you think, Tim? 
I tell you what, I think we serve two different types of villainry. Yeah. I think Tryon probably taps into the villainry of establishment, of a, a, like a wide-arcing unpleasantness. The British Empire that just did what it wanted to do in order to satisfy itself. Whereas Bonnet, this is from my, please tell me if I'm wrong on this, has has an air of very real threat. Like he is very much, this is someone that you are wary of. He reminds me a little of, in Gangs of New York, of the Daniel Day-Lewis character. And what I adore about that, and the same way I, I love about your character, is I don't want to be in the same room with them. Because I don't know what you're going to do. And I think that is just such, it's fascinating to watch. Then when you do put someone in a room with a character like that, it's like putting them in with a wild tiger. The tiger could just walk around and just kind of look at you, or it could just tear you to shreds in a moment. And and I think that's that's the difference. With Tryon, you feel you maybe could strike a deal if there's a benefit somewhere. He's not he's not wild he's a government man he's probably quite a petty man in many respects whereas bonnet has more status and power but is far more volatile in in differing ways what are you what are your thoughts i think i'm, I'm i agree with you and I, I feel that but with that i think that, that what are the you know what are the longer lasting effects of that someone like tryon who is more cerebral and what they are doing has like huge ramifications for society, that that kind of you, you know that as you say that someone who is in, in an establishment and who is part of that sinister element of the British Empire to have that, and you see it unfold even today with people who are in positions of power and authority and and and, and how that that can be exploited. And even if they may be on, on their own in a certain situation, they 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 may not have the backbone that they, they need, but when they are in power, they can create huge fear because of what they're doing. And, it, and it's over a period of time, which I think is incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and I think, but Bonnet, that we're all, his actions have huge uh, impacts on the individuals he harms, but it, it, is, it more is it more contained? So I guess they have a different, they're, they're looking at it from, from the effects of their, of their sinister ways. They're, they're on, on slightly different scales as well, I suppose. So there we go. Two two villains having a discussion about who's who's worse and have, probably doing it in the most uh, diplomatic, friendly way possible. <laughs> <laughs> you're more evil. No, <laughs> no you're no, more you're, evil. I love how evil you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I want to say we have um, often have very high expectations of our villains. I think we, we expect them to be very complex and bold and, and a villain can make or break a, a, a TV show or a movie, yet we don't typically give our villains much screen time i'm thinking for example i don't know if you know this but uh in the movie the dark knight heath ledger's joker appeared for only 33 minutes um of the two-hour runtime of the film and, and in silence of the lambs um anthony hopkins uh they both earned oscars for their performance anthony hopkins um hannibal lecter was only on film for um for 16 minutes wow um so yeah uh, well it, it seems to me that the you know the same could be said of steven bonnet in many ways so um, you know, you have a very short, quick, impactful um, appearance. So, my question is: how, how difficult is it to create a convincing villain when you you're typically given so little screen time? I feel that it stems from writing, doesn't it? I think that's what you're always looking for. And I think, as we sort of touched on earlier, about when you're given the chance to to play certain characters, but but you're having to, you're having to make an impact. I, 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 whether I've made an impact or not, he he is a character certainly does. 
in terms of writing, and I think it's, it stems from that. That that allows uh, allows certainly me to have the room to ex- explore. There's quite a lot. There's there's quite a lot on the page for for me to explore, essentially, and I, and I and I have to sort of be very thankful to the writers for that. And I guess that's what's happening with, with potentially with these with these other characters. You, you don't really want to have unless it is about them. You don't really want to be seeing the, the villain the whole time, uh, and, and, nor, and nor should you. Uh, but I, I, I feel that it, it has to stem from having, you know, a, a rich, a, a rich piece of, of writing there, and and and, it, and it's and it's. The, the great thing about doing this role is that if you don't feel you have got quite enough for any reason, or if you feel you can't quite make the impact you might want to, and it's just one short moment. I mean, a lot of, a lot, certainly in this series just done, I, you know, a lot of my episodes, it was literally one scene in episodes. I, I don't know how you felt that Diana Gavaldon handled it for, 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 for Tryon and, and Lord John, but certainly from, from Bonnet's point of view, there's, I, I, I quite, quite often went back to just the character description. And also I think I kept coming back to previous work I'd done from, from last, from, you know, from the last season, uh, from series four, and just, just kept coming back to that. And I felt that if, if, if I'd done the work properly and I was, I'd found my way in with him, it, it does become easier, especially when you, and that's one of the great things about doing television that repeats itself. And I, I'm sure you guys must feel the same is when you put on the, you know, you put on the, the costume, it's like, it is like slipping into the, you know, slipping into a sort of pair of old slippers in a way you can sort of, you, you, you feel connected quite quickly. I find with a, with a character you've played before, you know, there's a, there's a muscle memory there, which, um, yeah, I've completely rambled my way through that answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think, uh, and I, I think we're all in it, you know, in a similar position here. We all have, you know, smaller parts, but I put a lot of pressure on myself in, in, in scenes, especially when, you know, even if they're one-word scenes, which we can frequently have, you know, just do the one look. But away. they're the hardest, exactly. Well, they're, the hardest they're the hardest. Thank you. They are the hardest. There's nothing harder in this world when you look at something and I think on paper, that's easy. You come in, you say, you know, the morning papers are here. In, you know, you can, I can look at that on the day, not a problem, but it is the hardest thing to retain character and retain all the other things rather than a, you know, a four-page scene where you're discussing whatever it is you're discussing is easier to approach because there's so much to go on and you can have moments of quiet and pause and you can really kind of take you through it. But when you just kind of come in, say a line and leave, the hardest, hardest thing in the world. I suppose it's all down is making early choices, make early choices about what your character does or is like and certain little things that make the character memorable and make the character ah yes that's that's this that's that that's what that is that's what this is um i think for me that's sort of one of the things i sort of play on well that's that's one of the things i wanted to sort of lead into this next question um you know, with so much evil and adversity happening to the characters on outland on the show do you, do you ever worry that Stephen Bonnet will have a lasting impact on the characters in, in Outlander. I mean, how do you hope his character will be remembered? Uh, I, 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 for me, I, I wouldn't try to tend, I wouldn't lean on thinking that about thinking about that too much because you know, it, as long as I, I have, for me personally, I, I, I set myself a very clear way of how I want to approach something. And if and I, and if I can, if I, if I've, I don't want to say tip the boxes, but if I have 
done that, then then then, that, then that's all I can that's all I can offer. I can't can't I don't want to. It's not about you don't even with a character like this, you you don't do it to sort of leave a, a legacy of what, what what that what that character was or or, or what it what he represented you just have to play the truth of what's presented to you and you know and, and of course it's, it's as you say this huge adversity comes to, to the principles of, of of this show and that's part of it but you know and and you have to accept that you are you know that you will be at some point replaced by another adversary but i wouldn't want to think about that too much or dwell on that in any way and actually coming right back to how you know your one of your first questions it comes back to the enjoyment of it again if i'm enjoying what i'm doing then that that is more than enough for me, and I just have to have satisfaction with that, and be happy with the with with the work that's been that's been put, been put forward. And if it works for people, great. If it doesn't work for others, then that's fine too. Well, Ed, I can tell you something. It certainly works for us. Um, and I just want to say uh, thank you for your time, and uh, thank your dog as well. I loved loved hearing that <laughs> the and the bin man. It's all been fabulous. Those... <laughs> what else do we have? Those... We had some kind of digital assistant. There. Yeah. We've... It's all it's a yeah, party. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank oh, yeah. you so much for having me on board. And I, I, I can't apologise enough for my, my technical ineptitude early doors. Uh, and if I've mumbled and fluffed my way through it, apologies. But I've, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed having this couple of hours. It's been nice to nice to talk to you both. Yeah, yeah. It's been nice to catch up. With, <laughs> exactly. If anything, yeah. it's been lovely. But uh, but thank you. No, I personally think Stephen Bonnet is a is a is a truly memorable character because he is so. He is much like I was saying in Gangs of New York. He is very much that character, especially in my head. Is I would well, thank you for being in the same room, but I wouldn't want to be in the same room <laughs> as uh, as Stephen Bonnet, and that's for darn sure. But yeah, this is about as close as we get. This I is think, this yeah. is a safe distance, so thank you. So Ed, thank you once again. And now we've reached that part of the show where we read listeners' letters, and this one I am very excited about, as we have been asked to help someone. So I think we can. We can really do this. So listen up, David. I think this is right down right down your alley. Now, okay. um, I always hear this song when listening to Outlander, um, uh, but I can't find what it's called. Uh, so maybe you can help. Okay. Um, it's it, it starts really low, and then it starts picking up, uh, and then it goes a bit faster. Okay, so, and she, she's written it down. It goes a bit like this. Dun 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 brackets goes a bit faster now. Dun 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 and then it goes Sorry if this is bad information, um, but I'm sure if you really think about it, um, you could be some help. Uh, many, many thanks, Melissa. Melissa, um, thank you for your question. Really, really good question. Really hope we can help. Problem is, is that there's quite a lot of episodes of Outlander, and you haven't actually said which episode, or where it appears, or even in which series. Um, it's pretty much just a collection of words that are very much open to interpretation as to actually how they go. If you can perhaps give us a bit more detail, any detail, basically, apart from what you've written, that would be probably pretty useful. Unless, David, you can throw some light on what on earth that is. Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. I do have a great musical ear. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. Clementine from that episode uh, with Roger. Roger and Bree. I'm a darling Clementine. Oh! oh. 
I think you might be yeah. right. Right, go back and read it again, Tim. Go back. And, Hang and, on. Hang see. on. Let's have a look at this. Okay, so it goes. Dun 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 dun. I'm struggling. I'm that's struggling. Be, that's um, going wrong, guys. Dun 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 dun. Yes, and then it gets, and then she says quicker. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Ah, yes. Oh, that's very good, David. Well done. Solve it. You're welcome. That is very impressive. No, like, well, Melissa, there you go. Um, Clementine, Roger and Bree, uh, by the brilliant David Berry. Well done. What an ear. What an ear. Easy one to miss. Easy one to miss. Oh, my darling Clementine. Very impressive. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week, we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldon or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. So, See you next time. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.